we're back with the tech policy grind. I'm Rima Musa, and I'm a fellow with the Internet Law and Policy Foundry, the organization where the next generation of tech law and policy professionals convene to write, think, and talk about the web, technology, and disruptive innovation. This is the Tech Policy Grind, the Foundry's podcast where we chat about what's going on in the world of tech policy. In this episode, Foundry Fellow Lama Muhammad sits down with Creative Director Christopher Shannon and Associate Designer Kieran Hensonberg from the team at Glen Echo Group, which is a public relations firm specializing in tech policy. Together, they discuss instituting guardrails to protect creative industries when using generative artificial intelligence, while discussing issues concerning AI ethics, labor protections, and best practices. Hi, Kieran and Christopher. Thank you so much for joining this week's episode of the Tech Policy Grind podcast. I am very excited to have two of my coworkers on the show today to discuss the ethics and best practices of using generative artificial intelligence in the art world. Woohoo, excited to be here. Yeah, definitely. So without further ado, let's dive in. So this is probably the first time we've had artists on our show, and I want to start pretty broadly. What does generative artificial intelligence or generative AI mean to you, your role at work, and how do you honestly feel about it? Um, yeah, so for context, I graduated art school pretty recently back in 2021. A ton of my uh, friends from college are illustrators, um, just to sort of give the basis of where my opinions are, which is that they're um, pretty negative, but also there's a little bit of nuance there. Like I obviously think that, um, like generative AI is, is pretty fascinating, but I also think that like wielded in the hands of like our capitalist society, it is inherently very dangerous for artists, um, especially people like illustrators, um, that being said, uh, generative AI, I also just think of it as sort of like a collage machine. I don't really think it is as sophisticated as as people say it is. Um, but again, like to our capitalist society who is trying to get the most bang for the least buck, like sophistication doesn't really matter as long as it gets the job done. Yeah, I would say I tend to agree. Um, but I also feel a little more stoic about it and that I, I do feel like the cat is out of the bag, um, fortunately or unfortunately, and that it's become now sort of a tool and not just visual generative AI, but even type generative AI. It's, it's already here. Um, and I remember there was this sort of shift when I graduated, um, and first went to college from high school. I, um, really love photography and I used to have a dark room. Um, I was the photo editor of my high school paper. So I even had my own dark room and I'd spend hours and hours there. Um, and I really love photography. And when digital photography came out, I remember kind of thinking that's not real photography. Um, and so I'm in my mind kind of creating a comparison there where I'm hoping that this is a tool and that we can all create sort of on government side regulations, but 
kind of best practices and uh, guardrails, which is this episode's all about, um, about how we can use it responsibly in a way that respects other people. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm hoping my optimistic side is that this is uh, going to be like a really powerful way to democratize art and education, information and generation um, while still being, um, also being respectful to each other. Oh, that might be, that might be a little, a little too optimistic. No, I, I, I do vibe. I, I'm also an optimist and I, I do see a future where we have better tech and it can be aligned with public interest because there are people in the space who are actually working to do that. Um, but I think you both touched on ChatGPT and Dolly. I think in more recent news, we've, we hear more about ChatGPT. And I was curious to hear if you use one or the other more in your daily work. And I would also love it if you could share how you use generative AI to create the State of the Nets conference fantastic designs this year. Did you find any ethical issues with the technology? Was this your first time creating a design for a client using the tech? Please feel free to share. Yeah, so um, I, at least for my role, I tend to use ChatGPT more. Um, mm-hmm. But as the basis of a lot of things, right? Like, what are the best practices for uh, recording webinars? Um, and asking <laughs> ChatGPT to write that out. I did ask it to help me with a brand story once, and it said, once upon a time, there was a brand. So not so successful there. <laughs> it was hilarious. I just, like, couldn't stop laughing. Um uh, and then I think Dolly, um, I've used when there's some really specific need and, uh, particularly for state of the net, there was this sort of meta understanding that this is generated by, by AI. You can create beautiful things, but I don't think mm-hmm. from a designer's perspective that it's ever should be or, or is completely finished. Um, there's actually really interesting uh, new functionality for Photoshop beta for Adobe that uses um, their Firefly AI that does generative fill. And so I've used it for that, right? And mm-hmm. took a photo of a man looking at camera for uh, for a video still, sort of like a, this is what the video is going to look like. Selected out his shirt and asked uh, to put him in to um, like a doctor's lab coat. And it did it pretty flawlessly. Mm-hmm. It took a few tries. Um, but I think those sorts of tools that are really selective in how they leverage generative AI visually are a little bit more useful than, um, than Dolly, which is sort of just creating a final product there. Um, when it comes to the ethical issues, this was actually sort of the basis of one of the big discussions that started the ongoing dialogue that we have. And I don't think that there's, hard and mm-hmm. fast rules, but it is this sort of ongoing dialogue um, that the whole team had kind of started by you, Karen. So I would love to hear mm-hmm. what, you know, your thoughts. I was definitely less positive about using uh, Dolly at all for uh, uh, to present even as part of a final project. Uh, I definitely had um, some pretty mixed feelings about basically presenting unedited images from Dolly as an essential, like the key part of the designs for State of the Net. 
Um, I mean, a like generative AI, like even Adobe Firefly, there are issues with the the consent of the artist's work being used. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, exactly. Like. I think Dolly and Stable Diffusion and things like that are absolutely the worst in terms of they they scraped they scraped the web before um, like anyone really knew what was happening. Um, Firefly mm-hmm. is a little bit different, but they still don't really give the option of uh, people with stuff on Adobe Stock opting out, um, and they have not figured out oh, a system in which to. Uh, like pay people for their labor, essentially. Right, 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 right. So I guess until we figure all of that stuff out, I'm putting using it in essentially any capacity for my work on hold. I mm-hmm. think if I was going to use it for anything at all, it would be for the brainstorming phase. But mm-hmm. because it is... I mean, like like Christopher hinted at with Once Upon a Time, there was a brand. Um, brand? <laughs> it's basically just piecing together things that already exist. And I find that I can find much more refined versions of what I'm after from Pinterest. Um, and, like, I... I, I sort of prefer doing the piecing together of elements myself in the brainstorming phase as well. Just feel like I have more of a vision of what I'm, what I want. And instead of wrestling with the machine to make it for me, I can just sort of Photoshop it. I I really do appreciate you sharing those thoughts, especially on data scraping, because um, even from generative AI aside, Data scraping is also is what's used to build facial recognition technology, and a lot of that is sometimes used in pretty terrible ways. And all of our facial data is being used without our consent. And what does that even look like? So I can't even imagine what it's like for an artist. Um, so thanks for sharing that. I kind of want to talk more about these ethical issues. What do each of you individually fear, if you have any, with the rise of generative AI used to create create art that's either graphic or textual? Um, I I don't want to like put the cart before the horse. I guess I sort of fear for the like stability of creative jobs. I don't ever think that AI is going to be able to do a better job than humans do at painting or graphic design. Um, But I do think that just because of the, the like way the business works, the people who are trying to cut costs are, are really excited about the idea of being able to fire people that they don't really see as strictly necessary. And I think the less and less necessary artists seem with the creation of these kinds of AI, the more precarious the position of artists like within our modern economy is going to be. So sort of just mm-hmm. from like a, like a people first approach, right? I think this mm-hmm. is a little bit concerning for me. I agree with those. Um, I agree with those concerns, right? I think there's definitely going to be a probably pretty sizable 
shift in the marketplace when it comes to sort of any any creative careers, right? The, the writers are on strike. Um, there's concerns about AI being used for background acting, all that sort of stuff. Um, I, I do think that eventually it'll stabilize into something where you kind of become a prompt artist um, and, and understanding how you do that. My concerns are even more foundational in that, you know, I'm concerned that we talked about data scraping, right? Data on the internet tends to favor people who have devices and who have the ability to create content, which skews already very American, very wealthy and white. Um, and so I, I, my concern is that it becomes sort of, you know, we, we all experienced the horrors of what happened to echo chambers in social media, but imagine a rabbit hole where AI, and I know AIs can't really train themselves on other AIs. They start becoming less and less cogent, but the idea of someone, the idea of, of becoming more and more focused or fixated on one particular style or stream of, of generated data is, is what really concerns me. So that, you know, the idea of creation um, is uniquely human, at least right now. Um, and, and you need that creation in order to, to have this diverse data set that the LLMs need. Um, so my, my hope is that in, in the most optimistic world is that we all move to using it as a tool but it never it never becomes a replacement for sort of that innate human creativity um, that we all have. Right, and I and I really do like how you sort of brought it back to human element. I think even if we see workplaces using generative AI more, who are we leaving behind? There are still a lot of people who don't have access to the internet. Right who can't afford a digital device, are they suddenly going to be locked out of the artistic world? And so I also think about, you know, digital equity in that sense. Um, but you both brought up the ongoing writer strike, which I really want to talk about um, by the Writers Guild of America. So for our listeners who don't know, on May 1st of this year, the Writers Guilds of America demanded that screenwriters' contracts include AI regulations to protect writers and their work. Um, I think in the last one or two weeks, the actors from the Screen Actors Guild of America Federation of Television and Radio Artists, also known as SAG, have also joined writers in this fight as generative AI can replicate individuals' faces and voices. And they're actually, and I think you mentioned this, Kieran, is no form of licensing for using actors' voices and faces without their actual consent. So what are your thoughts on what governments, the industry, or civil society can do to protect artists' identities, talents, and jobs? Is there a fine line for how directors, producers, and other individuals in power to use this technology? I mean, yeah. So first of all, totally in support of both strikes. I hope they get everything that they want. Um, Secondly, I think that like we, like obviously uh, WGA and SAG are, are trying to get sort of like in front of the issue. There hasn't been widespread use of AI yet in sort of block, blockbuster Hollywood films, but 
we have seen it already in uh, a Netflix produced uh, Japanese animated film. I don't remember the name where all of the background art was AI generated. Um, if, if you're like not super aware, uh, the anime industry or the Japanese animation industry itself is pretty abusive to its artists. And this is, I feel like just sort of a continuation of this, the idea that, um, they don't want to pay their artists. They already don't want to pay their artists, but to just sort of like remove them entirely, there is, uh, like this is what could potentially happen. Like I, I, I think it's like it really important to like balance the idea of like like the hype around the technology and this like sort of like the idea that like these like large language models they're like like stochastic parrots or like they're just collage machines. Like we need to balance out with the fact that like the people who are going to make like billions and billions of dollars off of this kind of don't care that that's what they are because they're still going to use them to replace people. And like the backgrounds looked not very good, but that didn't matter because the movie had backgrounds and they didn't have to pay people to make them. And the standard will shift too, right? I think that's a concern of mine, right. Karen, right? Do you remember when like face filters were all the thing? And now even mm-hmm. if you're not using a face filter, the aesthetic on most social media is all the same because you, your brain gets used to, oh, that's what people's faces look like. Whereas, you know, there used to be models in the seventies with different shapes, noses and beauty marks and all these things that made them unique. And now it's kind of becoming homogenized. And I, I also have a concern that the style, both visually for visually generative AI and, um, you know, like backgrounds on backgrounds on, on anime. I don't, I don't want it all to look the same, but if it starts doing it, I'm going to probably get used to it. And and then I'll watch Akira, Akira and think it looks bad, even though it's beautiful and there's little mistakes. And it's one of my favorite, one of my favorite animes. Um, uh, but I think that's a, that's a great point. To your question, Lemma, about specifically sort of what can government and industry do? I think it's about mindfulness and intentionality. So I think as a community of creators, including people who are, um, you know, team leads or at the executive level that it's an ongoing conversation about what it, what is the right way to do it? Because I don't think that we know yet it's too new. Um, and, and also, you know, people can be kind of greedy, Karen, to your point. And I think we've seen that, um, leveraging this, to take away something from another person is going to lead to negative consequences as we've seen with a very, and you, you pinged on this really early Karen. and it's a capitalist society issue. Um, and so I, I, I have some concerns there and because of that, you know, for the people who are, who are less mindful and less really intentional and thoughtful about this, I think that the government needs to step in and even beyond that, I think that a multinational organization needs to step in, um, like we've seen for other sort of powerful technologies in the past. But I think at a scale that we've never seen it at a scale 
of this size before, right? You can control nuclear weapons and you can detect them, but you can't really control an LLM you've downloaded to your iPhone, um, which you can do now, which is insane. And so I think, um, I think having a multinational organization, and I think everyone's pushing for this right now, um, a multinational organization that is able to sort of define agreements and enforce them. And then I also think that there's a big opportunity here, particularly for writers. I think writers are at the most risk because um, even even more than than visual artists, right? These are large language platforms. They they use they need words in order to work, um, even even when they become visually generative. Um, I hope that we can find some way. And I think like, honestly, blockchain, there's an opportunity to do this, although the ecological impact would be kind of vast, but, but some way to track. Yes. <laughs> what, yeah. Right. It's like, Oh, great. Let's throw some, let's throw some more compute and more energy and more oil at it. Um, but I think that finding a way to, to show, right. Hey, this is 30% Kieran's work or, this is, um, you know, 30% Christopher or Lama, your work as a writer or as a creator, right? Uh, hey, d- uh, do a podcast in the, in the style of, of Lemma. Like, I don't want, I, I would want you to be able to control that and at least see that, um, which is one of the, the big things that Kieran and I and the whole team were having discussions about, right? Like, how can this be attributed? Is it being compensated? Um, can you provide consent? And, and I think those are the sort of three main areas where government and industry need to come together and need to do it rather quickly because we're already, you know, the horse is already out of the stable. And so this needs to happen, you know, in the next year in order for it to really have any, any meaningful impact. Yeah, I totally agree. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I want to go back to once upon a time, there was a brand because on a similar line, I was reading how Charlie Brooker, the creator of the show Black Mirror, got ChatGPT to write him an episode for season six and ultimately hated it. Similar to you, Christopher. (laughs) So do you think, considering all the ethical issues that this new technology could ever help the art industry? And if so, in what way? So I'll take this one because it was sort of an experience. I have to say, Mm -hmm. which might seem counterintuitive, yes. Um, Because while while the first prompt that I gave it sounded crazy and made zero sense, um, (laughs) uh, I was... I, I kept refining it and, and there were elements, right? There were turns of phrase that I think were probably borrowed from the larger lexicon. Um, and in mm. Kieran mentioned, right. The idea of potentially using it as a, a, a block that is part of a house that is made of hundreds of blocks. I think that's when it becomes really helpful to the art industry. Right. I might say, I would really like to see a, uh, blue daisy in a dog's collar on the moon, I might cut out the collar and then place it on a photograph that I found in stock and then change it with uh, some sort of filter or edit it visually. I think using the technology as little building blocks um, 
is is a way for me that I think it can help the art industry. And then on the flip side, I think in for people who are just discovering art, um, it can really help their creativity flourish, right? If my nephew, who's two now, once he's able to talk or type, and he says, I want to see what an owl on the moon would look like, I don't want to stop him from being able to see what the owl on the moon, uh, what an owl on the moon would look like. Mm. And really teaching people that we're all incredibly creative and we all have the ability to create anything. I think that is another really um, powerful use of this Um, on the flip side. Whereas us as professional creators need to be really mindful of, of how we use that. Cause, cause those are two very different use cases. I love that you touched on the, democratization of art and design because it's something that I'm pretty passionate about. Um, Obviously, I went to school for art, um, which is like a privilege not a lot of people have, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and as as a result, like I'm really I'm really aware of my privilege and being able to do Mm -hmm. that. Um, And I think that the conversations around the democratization of design are really interesting because I think that there's a fine line between saying like everyone can, everyone can make art, everyone can make art and Mm -hmm. like everyone can make art right now by writing a sentence. Because the, the truth is like everyone, like humans just inherently have the capacity to create everyone can be an artist the same way that like I always say like during critiques with people who aren't like necessarily designers like you live in the world therefore you have like an aesthetic sensibility Mm. like everyone has the capacity to create and it's just a matter of like nurturing that like I can't draw but I could draw if I worked hard enough at it, like the democratization of design isn't necessarily like, um, like I want to see, <laughs> like, like I want to see like, like surreal dog, like riding bicycle. Right. Like right, right. it's like maybe democratization of design is like making sure that like, schools have the funding for their art programs so that like a third grader can like has the like paints to do that and the time within the day to do that. I I think that like democratization of design is incredibly important, but again, it needs to be people first, not technology first. Mm -hmm. Um, So. Kieran, how would you respond to the idea that this is an artistic tool? Oh, I, I absolutely. Yeah. So I, The thing is, I actually don't, I'm not anti, like, machine learning art. I'm actually, I really Mm -hmm. like a lot of the aesthetics that it can create. Um, I know that, Christopher, you and I have talked about Google's, like, deep dream generative AI Mm -hmm. from, you know, a decade ago. A million years ago, yeah. um, Which, like, (laughs) scraped, like, Google images and created these weird psychedelic uh like creations um it was all just yeah eyeballs and dogs nice and it was just like a, a really really interesting reflection of like what exists on the internet what do we as humans take pictures of and document and this mm. idea of there being 
I love when like AI art really shows it's like transparently artificial. Mm. I think that there is like, like inherently something creatively valuable in that. Mm -hmm. What I don't personally like is when people are using AI to obscure the fact that they are using AI when they are saying in the style of this artist, like I think AI is valuable like I, I think AI art is valuable, but I think that people need to be honest about what it is in order to use it as a tool. Completely agree. One hundred percent. And to bridge some of the positives that you both raised about the technology and your personal experience with it, is there a balance between how artists can use it without taking a design from someone else and generating art? What are the best practices artists should follow when using this technology? Yeah, well, I don't actually think that there is a way to engage with generative AI without using someone's work who hasn't consented to having their work used in the training model. Mm. Like currently, there is no existing uh, like generative AI that uses an image set where everyone has opted in and is being compensated fairly. Mm. Once there is, and I think Firefly could be that thing, once it figures itself out, because it still has some major flaws with its uh, control and compensation, like there, there could be ways to engage with and create with generative AI that are not infringing on people's rights over their own work. I think at this point, like, I don't think people are like, like necessarily like doing bad things by using gener- generative AI. But I, eh. I do. Well, okay. Yes. Not, not, <laughs> okay. Hold on. Everyone <laughs> like, like the, in the world, there are lots of people doing bad things using AI, but I don't necessarily think that you creating something with generative AI means that you are, like a bad person who is stealing from other creators. That's what I was trying to say. I I, I think that uh, it's so part partially the issue of this like hype cycle that people are sort of jumping into this feet first and not really considering the ethical implications of it. Um, like like we we can talk like like all day about all of this like deep philosophizing that we've been doing about AI for like months and months, but like, just like, like regular old internet user who's going on like clip drop and using like Dolly or whatever, like, isn't necessarily like thinking that. And um, I forgot what the question was, but ba- basically like, right, there, there is no like ethical way to use these necessarily, but I don't think that ne- that people are necessarily like purposefully, obviously people aren't purposefully being unethical, but I, I, yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think where we ended up netting out was really that, that concept of intentionality and mindfulness mm-hmm. and what that looks for the team, what that looks like for the team right now is that, we don't use we don't use generative AI as an end product, right? I wouldn't take that brand story and and, and provide it to a client. 
we wouldn't take, we wouldn't type in something we needed for a social card and provide it to a client. Um, what we found is you can, you can use it as a component, right? You can use it as a thought starter or as, um, as a way to, to get one thing you need, right? Maybe that moon that was in the dog with the daisy and its collar was actually really cool and didn't look like the real moon. So, cause it's composite and, and I can use that moon in a, in a skyscape. Um, or maybe a really interesting turn of phrase came up, right? Uh, uh, GPT is great for taglines, it, but it's, I've never gotten a, an actual final tagline from it, but it's a great way to sort of get, at least for me, a, a great way to get my mind going. Cause I feel like that first step is always the hardest. Um, and I think too, that the, that these best practices are going to evolve. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, art is a history of borrowing from other artists. And my ultimate hope is that is that people just are, are mindful about it and that some of the actual technical issues that um, that exist, right, which is the lack of attribution, um, which I think leads to compensation and um, and the ability to consent is are, are resolved. Because it's a great thought partner. Um, Mm -hmm. It's boring and it's a robot and it has sort of a robotic voice and ethos. And sometimes it tells you that a brand story starts with once upon a time. Um, (laughs) But it is, it is still an incredibly powerful tool that I think is going to change the world, hopefully for the better. I'm going to, I'm going to keep my optimist hat on. Awesome. Well, to conclude, The Internet Law and Policy Foundry is a career development fellowship for early to mid-career professionals. Christopher and Kieran, how can our listeners help establish ethical AI practices in art? Do you have any advice for those interested in pursuing an art career but are worried about the negative impacts of generative AI? Um, Yeah, so for... For the people who are interested in the policy aspect of this, I would uh, very strongly urge that you like talk to the artists themselves. Like Mm -hmm. a a lot of us are doing some pretty heavy philosophizing on, on this stuff in our own artistic circles, but like, we'd love to hear from people outside of the like doom and gloom circle for sure. (laughs) Um, And for people who want to get into art, like I, trust that no one is going to like no computer is going to make art better than you do Mm, yes yes i do support that yes uh my sort of thoughts on recommend uh like how to establish ethical ai practices um, is just to be kind i think technology has a really powerful i think technology's most negative aspect is that it it separates us from other people um i think it happened with social media where we have less friends now. Um, I think it happens with AI and that we feel even more separated from that experience of human development, right? If you want to be ethical in how you use AI, you have to think of it as a tool that has been trained by thousands of other people and you have to think about those people. Absolutely. You know, my King Harry Styles said it best, treat people with kindness. (laughs) 
Um, and on that note, we conclude this episode of the Tech Policy Grind podcast. Thank you so much to Kieran and Christopher from the Glen Echo Group for joining us. Be sure to check out all the incredible work we do at the Glen Echo Group by visiting our website and following us on social media. As always, all links are included in the show notes. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tech Policy Grind. If you enjoyed the show, get in touch with us at Foundry Podcasts with an S at ilpfoundry.us or leave us a review wherever you're tuning in. I'm Rima Musa, the host of the show, and this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of our team at the Internet Law and Policy Foundry. Thank you to Evan Enzer for editing this episode, Lama Muhammad, our social coordinator, Alison McReynolds, our accessibility coordinator, and Tim Lorden at the Internet Education Foundation. See you next time.